Welcome to this edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host. Joining me today, the Sunshine Boys themselves, Ira Kaufman, Joe Henderson, and Tim Williams, who is now joining us from the Tampa Bay area as he moved down from Boston. So, gentlemen, good to have you with us. And, you know, this has been a wild and crazy uh, week. Week three began overshadowed on the playing field by what went on off the field and specifically what happened during the national anthem. Let's start with you, Ira, your thoughts on what's going on with the National Football League, the President of the United States, and people taking a knee at the national anthem. Clearly, uh, clearly our president uh, ratcheted this up to a whole nother level. Mm-hmm. Uh, my understanding is uh, that he is enjoying, he is reveling in uh, what he has generated, all the talk, uh, sort of superseding uh, the actual action on the field, at least for one weekend. And I don't see any signs that uh, he's backing off his comments. Some people are asking for an apology. Uh, look, I, I stick to my original thought, and I think it's been lost in translation here, uh, is that uh, it's very tricky when you do things in the workplace. And this is in the workplace. Uh, I dare say uh, that uh, when Henderson and I were working for the Tribune, uh, you know, we, we can't walk around the office um, in, in a T-shirt with, uh, with some kind of political message on it. We, we'd be sent home. <clears throat> if we insisted, uh, we'd be suspended. No questions asked. Uh, this is the workplace. So – I just uh, – I don't think we should forget that, you know, if Michael Bennett has something important to say, and he does, uh, the players are off on Tuesdays. And if Michael Bennett held a press conference in Seattle at 1 o'clock on a Tuesday, I guarantee every TV station and radio station within 100 miles would show up and listen to everything that Michael Bennett wanted to tell us about equality. Uh but when you're wearing colors and uniforms, uh, I, I just think it's a different story. And I, I think by doing it this way, uh, a, a little bit of the message has been lost a, a, a bit. Mr. Henderson. Well, I, I think the whole message has been distorted because this was never about the flag and it was never about patriotism until the president made it that. And you know, we could go on for a whole show. We're not going to, but about mm-hmm. how the Constitution protects what these players have done. Now, Ira, you can argue, and you have, that it's a workplace situation. But then, how do you explain uh, the owner of the Jaguars going down and locking arms with with his players, or Jerry Jones, or how do you explain Snyder? Yeah. Dan Snyder, uh, Bob Kraft turning on on Mr. Trump, Tom Brady. They're they're, they're, they're afraid of alienating the players. Simple. They're afraid. Well, all right, fine. But what the president did with his really, it was just a campaign uh, style uh, red meat speech he was giving in Alabama that started all this thing, where he's, you know fire these players and all that. You can't do that. And it is divisive. It's unpresidential. And 
Donald, you're right about one thing. Donald Trump will not back down. He will not apologize. He doesn't care. He revels in this. But it is splitting the country at a time where we've got a whole lot more important stuff going on in the world than whether NFL players take a knee before the uh, the start of a game. You've got the hurricane situation. You've got the lunatic over North Korea. Who knows what Russia's up to today? Um, for all we know, they may be instigating all of this. And it's just, it it was, it added insanity to a volatile mix. And it was really, I believe, uncalled for by the president. And he's the one that ought to apologize, but he won't. Tim, it's, any thoughts? It's very troubling that someone who campaigned under the idea that freedom of speech was under attack because he wasn't allowed to say certain things or he was called out on saying certain things, but the same person would like to silence all these NFL players that have a thing to say and are using the platform in the only way they really seem to know how that that's troublesome because freedom of speech is supposed to apply universally that's it, it it's a it's given to everyone so it it's hard to deal with that and the other thing i'll say is if you listen to the words of the national anthem people who are upset about these protests well maybe they should because it's it's a song it's a originally a poem about the flag standing up to a battle that no matter what happened, the flag was still there, which to me has always meant the ideals that America really stands for. They're not going to be shaken by a little thing here or there because they're bigger than that. And I I think we kind of lose sight of that when we freak out about a couple of people that have something that they really want to say and they want to use their first amendment rights to say it. I do agree with Ira that businesses are allowed to, you know, institute codes of conduct. And if it goes against the code of conduct, then someone's going to get in trouble. We see that all the time. But in this case, it just seems if, if this upsets you that much, just remember the flag is still there. Well, here's the whole thing, though. The the you say that the business has a right to institute, institute a code of conduct. The commissioner of the league denounced the president. Team owners issued statements, including right here in Tampa Bay, where uh, Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson took a knee before uh, last week's game at Minnesota. Uh, the the Bucks issued a statement of support. All around the league, the owners are supporting the players. And now what's going to be really interesting is that in the Thursday night game uh, in Green Bay uh, in Wisconsin, where Donald Trump um, was elected, you know, he, the, the, the voters there chose him. Um, Aaron Rodgers has asked that the fans join the players in locking arms before the game. And that's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out because uh, that really is, is taking this to a whole new level. And, you know, I hope there's not fights in the fist fights in the stands. Uh, Wisconsin people are good people. I, I, I hope they don't resort to that. But emotions are running just 
over the top on this. And it uh, it is interesting that um, Mr. Trump chose to come after uh, Steph Curry, uh, and that uh, elicited a tweet uh, just slamming him from LeBron James. And I will tell you, Mr. President, you don't want to get on the wrong side of LeBron James. I'm just saying. It's probably not a good strategy. But um, it is, you know, he promised to unite people, and at least in some sense he's doing that, uniting them against him. One other quick thing, um, and that has to do with uh, former Ravens linebacker Ray Lewis, someone who's done a tremendous amount of good uh, in the Baltimore community. Uh, as of last night, there's a petition uh, that's gone to Ravens owner Steve Bashotti with more than 25,000 signatures on it asking to get rid of Ray Lewis's statue uh, outside M&T Bank Stadium. And uh, that just goes to show you how crazy this whole thing has, has gotten. You know, Jim, no matter well, yeah, what you think pretty- of the Ray, Ray Lewis situation, he, he, was, he was never convicted of anything. He's never no. convicted, so you know we can all have our our, our thoughts on uh, his uh, whether he was implicated in in, in uh, what happened, but uh, that is taking it too far. And by the way, well, he's going to the Hall of Fame in uh, in February. Right. The other the thing on this one, Ira, is because Ray took a knee during the national anthem with his current team members, and Ray actually took both knees. If you watch the video. He took both knees and said that he was praying about this and praying for the country to be, you know, be as one. So it's, um, you know, I, I know and you guys know, we all know players and who have um, donated checks or thrown, you know, gear or whatever. And that's the case with, with Ray Lewis. If ever if there were charity in any way, shape or form in the greater Baltimore area ever wanted something or wanted him, if he couldn't make it, he would send a check and more often than not send some memorabilia that they could auction off or give away. Um, so he's a pillar of the community in that regard. And uh, so now, you know, they want to take a statue down. It's crazy. It is. We have, we've gone beyond crazy. And you know, um, go ahead. It, that, uh, all across the country, in and out of sports, it seems that if you poll more and more people, they would say America's biggest enemy is other Americans. And that's heartbreaking that we've become our enemies now. And that's, I don't know how we come back from that, but we need to. And I, I, I think you could study this for a hundred years and not have much more to contribute on it. So I have nothing more to say on that, but (laughs) it's, it's, it's crushing. Well, well, here's another conundrum for the NFL. Uh, And we've all been to, to NFL stadiums and no league has done a more uh, deliberate job of embracing America and the flag and, and, you know, the giant, uh, American flag that's usually unfurled out on the on the field before a game, and and the military and the flyovers, flyover, yeah, and, the flyovers. The flyovers and, the, and the you know honor you know always calling a soldier out you know to mm-hmm. to to receive the uh, the proper uh, adulation from the crowd. Now this comes along, and again you go back to the point. 
none of this was about patriotism. It wasn't about that. It was about what Colin Kaepernick uh, perceived as racial injustice. And, you know, that's a whole nother show. And, and if we were doing a political podcast, we would do that. <laughs> but this, this has no bearing on patriotism. Patriotism can be expressed in a lot of different ways. But that's the problem for the NFL. How do you wrap yourself in the flag all these years and then all of a sudden have your players taking a knee, forcing ownership to say, you know what? You guys are right. You have a right to protest. It's it's a fascinating dilemma. And uh, I do think the NFL is handling it the right way. I don't believe the president did. Okay, let's move on uh, because we're not going to solve this one today. But... Oh, come on. <laughs> All right, fine. Come then we'll on, solve it. On. Go ahead, Lee. <laughs> Quick. Let's get Mitch McConnell on the phone. He's got nobody yeah, else to really. talk to today. Um, anyway, uh, week three in the uh, NFL is in the books. Week four in the NFL begins with a big Thursday night game, which actually becomes the first game streamed as part of the package of Amazon Prime. And it's delivered in the same day, which is always a good thing. Thoughts about, uh, before we get into week four uh, and look at week three, any thoughts about um, this game and watching it on a streaming service? Um, Kind of an interesting way, but they did it on Twitter last year. This year, it's Amazon's turn. I'm going to let Anderson take this one because uh, (laughs) he's he's Mr. Technology, Jim. He's got a fire stick. I don't even know Uh, what that is. So I'm I'm going to let Henderson uh, weigh in here. All right, go ahead. I've got my uh, streaming internet radio sitting next to me here and uh, and satellite and all that stuff. It's just another source to watch the game, um, I guess. Um, I would never underestimate Jeff Bezos, the uh, owner of Amazon. Um, You know, my question is, are they going to eventually deliver the game by drone? Um, But, um, you know, it's... um, I don't think it's going to have that much impact at first. First off, you know, the audience for Thursday night games is is kind of being, shall we say, uh, disintegrating. Um, And uh, it's, I'm not going to sit there and watch it on my phone or, you know, my app or anything like that. But, you know, 10 years down the road, we may look back at this and go, you know, genius. And and that's one thing you got to give. Uh, the people at Amazon credit for is that they uh, I wouldn't want to play chess with those guys because they're always thinking 10 moves ahead. Well, in a large part, this is no different guys than the early days of cable when USA and ESPN and others, you know, took forays into the sports business where, you know, the big three networks had had it all nailed down. So this is just another distribution. And if you recall back in the day when we spoke, uh, you know, to Mike Oresco from the uh, American Conference, he had talked about the possibility of someday having uh, college football games on Amazon and Hulu and some of these other less traditional, uh, you know, uh, outlets, but streaming sources. Well, sports outlets have to start thinking about that because the more you hear about cable cutting and you see people that are just canceling their their services and going with these all online packages and the increasing amount of companies like HBO and Showtime and 
the like that are offering their services where you can just pay them and get it on the internet rather than paying for cable. Well, that's going to hurt sports sooner or later if Amazon and the Netflixes of the world don't get involved. And this is a big step and it will be a good trial run to see how this will do. I know Yahoo has done this in the past. I know their first run seemed very much like a trial run. It was very hard to connect and the connection wasn't great. Amazon seems to be a little more well-equipped to do this. So we shall see, but this could be an important step in terms of how football and other sports leagues are going to make their money as television starts to see, you know, it's going to be a long time, but television is going to decline. It seems like, and it's, it's got to go somewhere that business has to has to keep going or or we're going to see the leagues change well there's there's one key point to this amazon thing that that we haven't discussed first off they're paying 50 million dollars for the rights to televise 10 games or stream 10 games we should say Uh, Mm -hmm. that's compared to 10 million dollars that twitter paid last year but the the real reason Amazon did this, it, it's not to reach us. It's to reach people over across the pond. This, go, this is going global uh, because it's available to Prime Video members. And that's the, they're in like 200 countries around the world. So if you're sitting over in uh, Australia, um, you can watch this game if you want to, and that's the big the big step forward I think uh, uh, for for Amazon and and for the NFL. And you know, Tim, you're absolutely right. Uh, the world of, of of sports television uh, and rights fees is is just being blown up in front of our eyes. So forward thinking move by Amazon and by the NFL. Um, brings them in a cool 50 mil, um, which would pay what Ira about a, a fraction of what Jameis Winston's going to get in a contract uh, extension in a couple of years. But, um, you know, it, it, it opens their game up globally. Uh, and that's, that's certainly something the NFL has always uh, made no secret that they want to do. From a business standpoint, if you're Jeff Bezos is a wise thing to do, because how many more, you know, prime people will he sign up? Well, he might sign up a bunch over overseas. Uh, you know, if you're, let's just say you're an American living in France. Okay. And, and you're a Packers fan. And all of a sudden you're going, hey, wait a minute, I can do what? Uh, you're going to sign up for, for Prime. Sure you are. And if you haven't already. And uh, like I said, I'm a Prime member. I, I'm not trying to give them a, a, a free advertisement here. They certainly don't need it. But it's a great service. And uh the fact that now they add this to it just makes it, uh, from Amazon's perspective, more appealing. And from the NFL, um, it just it, it is a leap ahead of anything any other sports league has done globally. It's, also, it, it's big for streaming as well, because you'll notice there's not a lot of live stuff being offered by these streaming companies. You go on and you see these pre-made shows, and they're often very good shows. On Amazon's end, I really like the Grand Tour, but that they're not live. And having live programming like football, well, that's something that TV's clinging to right now. So if they if they consider these cable companies a competitor of sorts, 
this would be a good way to go after them to get some live programming right now that's something tv has over the internet and amazon can change that with well the resources they have which as, as joe pointed out involves a lot of money well and and think of it also as as a way to soften up the ground for future expansion overseas think about that you're exposing your game to potentially millions more people uh the the as we see in london uh with the nfl those games are are now becoming a fixture over there uh, the league has made no secret that it it wants to expand its international footprint what better way to do that than uh, with something like this so you know uh, Jeff Bezos isn't in the habit of losing money, so they must have figured out they can make money on it uh, for Amazon. And the NFL certainly is going, yeah, we're all in. So um, five years from now, we may be wondering what took them so long to think of this. Let's uh, take a short break, come back and talk baseball and football when we return right here on the Sunshine Boys podcast. Hey, everybody. Jim Williams for Amazon Prime Channels. You know, if you're like me, you want to watch TV without, uh, without subscribing to cable. I mean, watch on your own terms. You can get HBO, Showtime, BritBox, Acorn, Stars, Epics. They're just a few of the wonderful channel offerings you can find at Amazon Prime Channels. Now, all of these channels come with a free trial, and if you do decide to subscribe, you're going to get them at a reduced price. So check out Amazon Prime Channels in the link below in our show box for all the details. That's Amazon Prime Channels. Welcome back to the Sunshine Boys podcast. I'm Jim Williams. Joining me, the Sunshine Boys themselves, Ira Kaufman, Joe Henderson, and Tim Williams joining us from now Pinellas Park. So, guys, let's talk about week, you know, let's look back on week three and then take a quick look at what happened week four in the uh, in the NFL. By the way, if you happen to be in, if you happen to be in Vegas and take our picks from last week, my hope is that you have enough money for a bus ticket to get home uh, because you are very poor in that regard. So anyway, we, uh, I read what you were about to say. We, we, we get to talk a little football, Mr. Williams. Yes, sir. That's what Absolutely. we get to do here. Yep. And a couple of, a couple of quick points because we got other topics to get to. I understand. Mm -hmm. um, look, guys, through three weeks, what strikes me the most is the crazy, wacky unpredictability. Uh, of the NFL season, more so than ever, I, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, after three weeks, there's only two 3-0 teams. Two mm -hmm. out of 32. Uh, I find that remarkable. Last year, they were, they were five mm -hmm. uh, at this point. Um, look, look at what just happened. The Bears, who Mr. Henderson will agree, were simply atrocious uh, in, in, in Tampa uh, the previous week. Uh, just beat the Steelers. The Raiders did not show up in your beloved uh, Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. um, the Dolphins, who had a nice comeback win on the road, week one, uh, don't show up uh, you know, against the Jet team, who, who a lot of people think don't want, they don't want to win. Um, this is craziness. And, uh, and by the way, speaking of craziness, how about the ending of the uh, – how about the ending of the, the Detroit Atlanta game? Something's got to be done about that. That yeah. that's just not right. When the officials 
get the get the the play wrong on the field, and we'll never know if Detroit could have got off another play. Yeah, probably not, but we don't know for sure. But the fact is, the official got it wrong, and the Lions paid the penalty. Um, crazy things are going on all over the NFL. The only thing that makes sense is the Bengals uh, don't have a win. It's the only thing. <laughs> well, and – I hate to say it, but there are, the the Bengals game was was uh, a national telecast, so I was able to watch it uh, at uh, 4:30 last week. And they're they're up, they're playing, they're they're just basically dominating the Packers early. And I'm I'm just sitting there going, they'll blow it, they'll blow it. And in that in that last drive, did you not? Could the, why did they even make him go through the motions? You knew Aaron right. Rodgers was going to drive them down. They were going to score. They were going to send the game to overtime, and they were going to win. And very, very Joe, very reminiscent of the Super Bowl. Very, very yeah. reminiscent of uh, very. You know, once the, once once the overtime started, it was over. It was over. It was over. And uh, we wondered how the Bengals would do with the new offensive coordinator. I think they did pretty well. Um, you lose in overtime. Uh, at Lambeau, that's that's not the worst thing in the world. But they're 0-3. They had a chance because the Steelers lost. The, the inexplicable result of the week was the Baltimore Ravens getting seal clubbed over in London by the Jaguars. And Blake Bortles looks like Tom Brady in this game. What, what's going on here? This, that was nuts. Four touchdown passes against the Ravens. Did the... What did they send the JV team over? What did they do? What happened there, Ira? Explain it. Well, uh, J- Jim, the, the Jaguars have looked fantastic in two out of their three games, mm-hmm. and they look terrible in, in game number two. And uh, and the Ravens, you know, who I thought were, were going to beat up on the Jags, and maybe you did too, uh, they didn't show up. Um, so it all, it all started with New England, you know, losing to KC at Gillette Stadium where – where they don't lose, Tim. And I, I think that's kind of set the tone for the first three weeks. You know, you mentioned only two teams are undefeated right now. I would say of the 28 teams that have lost at least one game, at least 25 of them didn't just lose, but looked terrible in their loss. And that's really bizarre. You look at a lot of the results from last week, the Ravens laying an egg in London. Tampa Bay coming off this great win at home against Chicago essentially fails to make it to Minnesota and a bunch of imposters in their uniforms impersonate poorly the Minnesota Vikings practice squad and they, they get waxed and that happens all across the league. You've seen the Patriots came out in week one and did not look that good there. It's a very strange year and Maybe the fact that our first two discussions were about politics and the internet might might have a, it might even cast it in an even weirder light. This is a strange season for the NFL in pretty much every regard. Yes. Ira, the Giants are coming to Tampa this week winless. They will they will be going into October looking for their first win. Um a, could you have predicted that? And B, what implications do you think that has for the Bucks this week? Uh, you couldn't have predicted it, but apparently, Joe, uh, now there's a lot of offensive lines that are struggling. 
you know, and then you watch a team like Dallas the other night, and you, you see how they how they push uh, most opponents around with that with that great front. Um, the giant offensive line's in shambles, Joe. They can't protect Manning, and Manning's very immobile at this point and old. Uh, Beckham finally woke up. He played like a dog and looked like a dog. Uh, that was that that was just awful. That 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 post touchdown yeah, display. That, that, that was that, that's awful. Uh, yeah, but that. Joe, um, Joe, the Bucks have won five straight at home. The defense uh, has played very, very well in those five games. Um, and while the Giants are desperate, Joe's right. Absolutely, you go zero and four. I think it's over, Jim. Absolutely mm-hmm. over. The stats tell you it may be over at zero and three. Certainly over at four. Having said that, Joe, I think the Bucks bounce back. And it, Tim just made the point. Uh, you can't figure out as as bad as the team looks. Uh, you know the previous week, uh, they they bounce back. Uh, you know, look at the Jags. A, a lot of teams have done it. The Vikings got got clobbered by the Steelers. Then they looked like, uh, you know, the 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 '66 Packers last week against the Bucks. Uh, very well, strange season. Very strange season. Well, to give the Bucks at least a little bit of a break. Um, the- they were missing four guys on defense, and they were. you know, yeah. And you take take the equivalent of Quan Alexander out of any defensive lineup and any team in the league, and it's going to have an impact. And uh, and Brent Grimes uh, w- was not in that yeah. game, which now Joe, they, uh, they, Joe, they lost to a journeyman quarterback. They did. They did. Now, how can you say that about Case Keenum? He's three and zero against the Bucks. Yeah, we I called him a buck killer last week. Tim Williams sat there and went, I've, I've never heard that. But um, it was – Actually, it was our guest who was flummoxed by the whole idea. The point Billy made – Billy Bender was, was like, what do you say, what, Joe? Was, I've never heard – Well, <laughs> I rest my case. Just right. look at the game film. Uh, he was, he was but, very, very you know, good. Jim, the Bucks, the Bucks might be keeping Case Keenum in this league. Jimmy. It looks that way, doesn't it? Um, I, I hey. really think they ought to sign him. Is what I do. <laughs> get him off, get him, on get him off of everybody else's team. Now, to Case Keenum's credit, he had to hit those wide open men. Those entirely <laughs> uncovered <laughs> wide receivers. He did have to actually complete the passes. I, th- I think Ira Kaufman could have hit a couple of those guys. I'm saying. Whoa. Uh, and, and by the way, you know, Joe watched the game, uh, and I assume Tim might have watched the game too. But yeah, guys, we, we we can't let the Buck offense off the hook. Um, you know, Cutter Cutters is supposed to be uh, an outstanding play caller. Uh, um, you know, they don't have a run past 15 yards through two games. They don't have a a pass a completion over 35 yards. And Tim, this was supposed to be the new explosive Buck offense uh, rejiggered. In, in the off season, we we haven't seen it. We haven't seen the we haven't seen the explosive plays. Well, and I well, think you're seeing I, Jameis Winston throw three picks last week. Where you know that's a problem, and yeah. also anybody who thought, oh well, um, Jacquez Rogers will just uh, make everybody forget about Doug Martin. I don't think so. Then uh, all of a sudden, now you're starting to count down the days until. Doug Martin can get back on the field because they really need him back there. Absolutely. I would notice uh, – I'm I'm glad Ira brought up Dirk Cutter because I, I think 
a lot of this season is going to come down to how creative can Dirk Cutter be. The Buccaneers have a lot of options on offense, especially in the passing game. And that means the more that they move the ball around, the more they become unpredictable, the harder they're going to be to defend. They weren't unpredictable against the Vikings from about the third drive on. You could tell what they were going to run. And one thing they weren't going to do was actually run. They ran, they gave the ball to running backs nine times on Sunday, just nine. Now, granted they were behind early and behind by a large margin, but when you're giving Winston the ball, a guy that you drafted knowing that he's prone to turning the ball over and you're saying here, win the game by yourself. What do you think is going to happen? He's going to fall into bad habits. He's going to try to throw the ball through defensive backs, which he did, and it didn't work as it never does. And, you know, I call it Brett Favre disease, the idea that a good quarterback thinks they're even better than they really are. And when you get that kind of person trailing and you just give them the ball and that's all you've got, he's going to have a bad day. And then that's that's alarming because they have too many options to run that vanilla of an offense. Hey Tim, I asked you last week about uh, about New England's problems on defense, and uh, it's a week later, and, and, and I'm going to ask you the same question, uh, Tim. What is going on with Belichick's defense? It 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 lacks the talent that they've had for the last few years. It, they're not getting back to the quarterback they're not challenging much of anything and it's allowing well you look at the Texans Deshaun Watson looked excellent the whole team look at looked excellent against the Pats and you can I already pointed to talent but to a degree you can also point to the game plan which is well beyond surprising given how they've been under Belichick but they do seem like they're trying to figure things out on defense right now. Fortunately for them this last week, their offense bailed it out, but that's not going to last the whole season. Eventually you're going to play a team that will get a stop or two, even against Tom Brady. Real quick, guys, let's uh, take a look at um, the Florida teams playing. Jacksonville takes on the Jets at the Meadowlands. Um, Who wins that game, guys? Oh boy, oh, boy. I would love to say Jaguars, the Jacksonville Jaguars yeah. after last week, but after last week, I don't know if there's any result we can really predict. The Jets could win by 30 somehow. Okay. Uh, I, I, I would think I'd, I'll go with the Jags, um, but I wouldn't bet more than about 12 cents on it. Um, <laughs> you know, only because, only because I, I, still think the Jets are horrible. And, you know, the the Jags at least do have a defense. And, you know, Blake Bortles, four TDs against the Ravens. Somebody please explain that to me. I'm, that one gives me a headache. I'm trying to figure that one out. But, hey, give the man his due. He he looked good in that game. And and, uh, so I think. How about the Dolphins in New Orleans? uh, the Dolphins in New Orleans. Well, the Saints finally got on the board last week, uh, Jim. You know, Breeze is going to get his. I, I, I've said that for 10 years. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you might beat him, but Breeze is going to get his. And, and that's just the way it is. Uh, who can figure out uh, what's going on uh, 
with the visitors. Uh, but think about the Saints, is Jim that uh, they've been seven and nine for three straight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean Payton might might have worn out his welcome. If they play just a smidgen of defense, guys, just a smidgen, you know, finish finish 18th in the league instead of 28th, uh, they got a chance every week. So, you know, that, that's the X factor with New Orleans. But uh, I, just, I, I just don't trust the Saints defense, guys. I don't trust it. I'll take New Orleans in that one mostly because of the travel miles that the Dolphins have incurred in the last three weeks. They went from – having to worry about their own homes with Hurricane Irma hitting Florida when they should have been playing week one. Then they went all the way across the country to Los Angeles for week two, then back across the country to play the Jets. Maybe that could be why they laid an egg against the Jets. Now they're in London. This is technically their first home game of the season. It's in London. So it's a short drive from Miami to London. Miami being that they've put on more travel miles than basically any team could for there are college football teams that won't put that many miles on in a season. All right, guys, let's talk a little bit. Um, Joe, you were alluding earlier to the basketball scandal in college sports. Uh, Why don't you give us a little background on it and your take on it, and then we'll, follow suit well the uh, this is this is huge um it it involves uh allegations of bribery uh of of assistant coaches and uh shoe companies involved the the feds are involved there's indictments there have been arrests uh very high profile programs uh program like Arizona assistant coach there was implicated Louisville has been implicated um this what the the gist of it is is that the there's this kind of shadowy underworld in college basketball and it these big schools the elite schools depend on these figures I call them street agents uh, they can be as uh, somebody's uncle, somebody's AAU coach, somebody's you know travel team guy, whatever. Uh, they depend on these persons of influence to impact uh, where some of their college, and they are willing to pay these people um, bribe money, if you will, to kind of coerce uh, uh, an athlete into saying, okay, I will go to school X and I will, you know, most of these guys are are what you call one and done guys. They're going to go there. They're going to stay a year or two at the most. Uh, They're identified as far back as middle school as being NBA talents. So then the shoe companies get involved and they start going, okay, well, we want, uh, this player, we think he's going to be a, a first-round uh, lottery pick in the NBA, so we want to make sure he signs with us. That's where you saw an executive with Adidas get arrested in this scandal. And I think we've just seen the beginning of it. Uh, if people don't read the news pages, the, 
you need to, if you're a college basketball fan, you really need to go check this story out. There's a very real possibility that Rick Pitino loses his job at Louisville over this because Louisville's been implicated in this scandal. Uh, and he, he professed to be shocked, shocked and stunned that, that, that this was going on. Little Ricky uh, was shocked and stunned, huh? Okay. Shocked and stunned. And uh, so, but with all the problems they've had at Louisville, the sex scandal, the, they're on probation, everything else, uh, you know, they say in coaching, a lot of it is what you choose not to know. Mm-hmm. But um, in this case, I don't see how anybody that's deeply involved in college basketball doesn't know that this kind of stuff goes on. And they uh, are, are, are in for a long, tough road on this one. And, and it could bring some of the marquee programs in this country to their knees. I really believe that. Hey, Tim, uh, Tim, isn't this an example, Tim, of how every two years or so we get one of these scandal stories? Just to remind us, in case anybody forgets uh, or, or is naive, that uh, big-time college athletics is a cesspool, Mr. Williams. Um, how many times do we have to hear How come we don't hear this about soccer and lacrosse programs? Why? There's no money in it. Uh, the money causes the corruption. And the more money, the more corruption. Uh, Tim, do we really have to be shocked at this? And, and Joe, didn't we do a series on this at the Tribune way back we when? We did. And, we did. And, and, I was, and it's still going on. It's still going on. I was the editor of that uh, series or that, that report that looked into the the kind of shadowy underworld of, of street agents. And it's uh, it's been going on forever. But here's here's an example. Um, Tampa Bay Times had a story today about Kevin Knox, who is a a um, uh, outstanding big time, big, time, yep. big time player at uh, Tampa Catholic High School, signed with the University of Kentucky. He's already being projected to be a lottery pick. Now there is no implication that he is caught up in this story. Let's be clear about that. But he told the newspaper that, yeah, I've got like 100 pairs of shoes, uh, sneakers that were given to me by various companies. And uh, I think it was, it was one of the, I think it was Adidas, but it may have been another company that uh, gave the Tampa Catholic program uh, like thousands of dollars in what they call swag, you know, the, these, right. these outstanding uniforms and all this kind of stuff and trying to influence later that they think, since Kevin Knox is projected to be a lottery pick, okay, well, we'd like you to sign your shoe contract with us. And that's how it works. And so uh, I love college basketball. I have forever. I like it much better than the NBA game. Stuff like this makes you wonder, man. Uh, You know, this is on top of, academic fraud allegations at, at one of the great institutions in this country, the University of North Carolina. And um, where does it stop? Where, you know, it, it brings up the old joke about the SEC. You know, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. And it sounds to me like a lot of schools are out there trying right now. And accomplishing. And accomplishing. Huh. Well, you all talk right. about it being a cesspool. You talk about all the, these, these scandals. And it's, to me, 
you look at them and this isn't even the worst stuff going on in college sports. Now I love college sports too. I, but I see these kind of things and I think, are we going to be sitting here in X amount of years and talking about college sports as something that used to be a big deal and no longer is because this is a bubble that's going to burst because we know this stuff should surprise nobody. We know this kind of stuff's going on. We've been suspecting this kind of stuff's going on for longer than anyone's been uncovering it. And here we are. And yet, and every year it seems like we find out something about some program somewhere that's considerably worse than even this. And it just makes me wonder, you know, is anyone trying to really fix the problems? Because if they don't, this is the idea of big time college basketball, big time college football, even big time college hockey is going to go away eventually because this is going uh, it's just getting too it's getting too much. And when uh, when you're talking about big programs in the in the crosshairs, who knows? I completely disagree. Um, college sports, college basketball in particular, has survived scandal after scandal, going back to the point fixing uh, allegations back in the what was it the fifties, sixties, whatever 50s. it was. Yep, the fifties. Yeah, yep. and you know all it. All it does is just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And what I would hope, the one change I really think needs to be made that would stop a lot of this crap is get rid of that idiotic one and done situation. Let so A lot of these kids don't want to be in college, have no business being in college, aren't interested in college. And really should be allowed to go straight from high school if they are good enough into the NBA. And instead, the NBA treats college basketball like it's a, like it's, it's minor league. Uh, so you get situations like we see at Kentucky where uh, every year John Calipari, and he's playing by the rules when he does this, but he comes in and recruits 12 McDonald's All-Americans and they go out and they're going to contend for the national title. And then nine of them are going to leave and be lottery picks. And, and, so, and seven of them you never hear from again. Right. Again. But, yeah. but they, get, they get their money up front and they're okay. Yeah. And then he brings in a new batch and, and away we go. So that's killing college basketball. I pay close attention to college basketball. And the – Quality of play has really diminished in recent years, and I think it's, a lot of it's because you don't uh, players don't stick around at the elite schools. And you know, every now and then you wonder why March Madness ends up being crazy uh, with some of these upsets in the first round or two. One factor you've got there is that some of these so-called mid-majors are able to keep. Uh, players into their junior or even senior year and they're veteran teams and they play a much better game than the so-called power teams. And that shows up in March. It really does. And it also affects in, in a big way. And Tim knows this. Um, Tim, Tim's a, a astute uh, NBA fan. Um, Tim, the, the NBA draft used to be a big deal and, and, and you find a good player at number 19. And now you know, look, as a Sixer fan, you know, you know they're, they're tanking all the time. 
and, and who do they end up with? You know, Jaleel Okafor. And nobody wants the guy. Uh, but he's the best available at the top. These guys are not ready, Tim. They're not ready. I mean, the Kevin Garnett's of the world, far far from between. Uh, and uh, you, you look at the top five picks in the, in the NBA draft most years, Tim, these guys got a lot of question marks, all of them. Um, it, it wasn't like that back then. I think there used to be a seven-round NBA draft. Tim, now nobody wants a second-rounder. You, you can't get rid of them. So it, it's having an effect everywhere. Well, and it's partially because they're not developed into pros, that they go – through these AAU and high school systems, and then they go to college basketball where the goal in college basketball is for that school to win. It's, you know, John Calipari is doing his best to get kids to the NBA, but I wouldn't call him a minor league kind of a coach where he's trying to get people ready for, well, who knows what system they're going to be in. <clears throat> Sixers. But it, it, you know, it's at some point, you've got to actually develop them into pros if that's where they're going. And I, I think that until that happens, you're going to get this NBA draft. That's very top heavy and full of players with question marks because they're, we've seen their raw talent, but because of the way we develop players right now, that's all they are is raw talent until they've played under a pro coach for a few years. All right. So do it like they do in baseball where you, you know, you can be drafted out of high school in Major League Baseball. Everybody is. Right? Yeah, everybody's eligible, right? Right. But if you sign with a college, say you don't come to an agreement with the player, then you are committed to that school for at least two years. And uh, it, it, you could do a modified um, version of that in college basketball. And it would help the college game. It would help the NBA game. Uh, maybe the players wouldn't like it, but you got to give them the option of of coming out as high school players and saying, okay, I'm going to make the jump to the NBA. The NBA would have to then look at it and go, you know what? Um, we'll draft you, but we're going to stick you on the end of the bench for a couple of years and uh, let you see how it's done, rookie, until uh, you figure out how we play up here. I also so like the hockey help. system. Yeah. Where you can draft people um, so while they're in college. It doesn't help when Calipari wins a national title, Joe, with, with a bunch of freshmen who, who then leave, and it kind of it, it reinforces what, uh, what Calipari's doing. It's, it's unfortunate. unfortunate. Well, there's, there's no question. He's playing the system, and, and the way that's the hand that they dealt coaches. And he's at a blue blood program. Um, he he's slick. He knows what he's doing. Uh, if you're a player and you're you're sitting there as a junior in high school, going, "Hey, I'm pretty good. I think I can be a first round draft pick." And there's only about I don't know ten thousand of those kids out there who think that every year. Um, then if you really are somebody who can play in the NBA right away, you're going to go to a program like Kentucky because he's got the track record of getting you uh getting you money getting you chosen but that doesn't help the college game it doesn't help the nba and maybe out of all this fbi investigation of college basketball and the and the corruption and all the stuff that's going to come out maybe that's the catalyst 
for these kinds of changes because I tell you what, you're not gonna you're not gonna stop this stuff. They'll just get better at hiding it. So change the rules, change change the system, and make it uh, have some common sense. I'm off my soapbox now. Okay, well, not to change the subject and to be blatant and plugging, but in a book that um, Ira, it's Ira, uh, Evan Weiner and I worked on uh, with David Stern. Stern was the one who called on this. If you remember, as part of the 2005 collective bargaining agreement was Article 10, which basically said you couldn't draft anybody into the NBA uh, unless they had to be at least 19 years old with one year removed from either their high school or college graduation. Mm-hmm. So, I mean... I remember it. it was a, and it was a terrible so, I mean, Stern. It was Stern's rule. terrible now. Uh, I, I didn't say it was. was. It's so awful. It's a bad rule. It's okay. awful. But why wouldn't you be able to take and you know put a development? You've got the development league. If this is if you're not going to play, you draft somebody, put them in development league. Well, nobody comes out and says, "Boy, I I would sure like to play uh, in the development league. I think that would help me a lot." Um, but the if you if you sign with college. If yes. you sign with a college, mm-hmm. then you need to commit to that would be my argument. And you know, nobody's saying the NFL a freshman can't come out, right? No. You can't draft a high school kid, right? And nope. well physically they can't handle it. Okay, well physically they can't handle it in basketball either. Uh it they are ruining a beautiful sport uh with 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 the loopholes and, and the escape routes that they give themselves. Bring some sanity back to college basketball. That's what I hope this investigation does. Well, and we obviously can't keep the pro game and college game separate because the pro game will just get in through these, through these what, what you call street agents. So mm-hmm. you have to get them involved. And that's why you mentioned baseball system. Baseball has a good system because it – it kind of lets these two entities work hand in hand. And I mentioned hockey, hockey's draft. You can actually keep people and stash them in college and have them as your property while they're there. So almost that coach is almost your minor league coach at that point. And I think that system's wonderful. Who knows if it would work in any other sport, but I would love to see some kind of a solution where the college basketball admits that, yeah, they are kind of farming NBA players, at least on the highest in, in the big blue blood programs. The Dukes, the Kentuckys, the Louisvilles are out there to put people in the NBA because that's who they recruit so they can win. So why not get the NBA involved instead of letting them sit back on the sidelines and hand people money and and hope that no one catches them? Hmm. I'll tell you what, guys. Um... As much as I'd love to continue this, um, we're getting close to the weekend. So um, let me uh, let's let's uh, wrap things up here and give us your social media and thought of the week, Ira Kaufman. All right, you can get me on social media, Jim uh, at i Kaufman seventy six. And uh, as a longtime Chiefs fan, uh, for a franchise that has not done much. Uh, since January of 1970, you heard me right, 1970, when Hank Stram was, you know, his guys were matriculating down the field. 
in Super Bowl IV. Uh, these may be the glory days, gentlemen. They're one of two uh, 3-0 and teams. And I dare say it's very early. It's very, very early. Three weeks. But if the voting ended today and the season ended today, the Offensive Rookie of the Year and the league MVP, in my opinion, is Kareem Hunt. He has been the dominant player in the early NFL season. A third-round pick out of Toledo, I believe. So hats off to the KC scouts because uh, while Fournette and uh, Dalvin Cook got most of the ink, uh, they come up with Kareem Hunt, uh, I believe, has been the best player in the league through three weeks. I would not disagree. Ira, by the way, uh, uh, if I'd like everybody to put on their bucket list to get an opportunity to at least go out and watch one football game at Arrowhead Stadium. It is amazing. That's a great facility out there because they have the the baseball stadium there at Kauffman Field in that Harry S. Truman complex. But, man, watching a game, a Chiefs game at Arrowhead is uh, is pretty special. That's a sea of red, Jimmy. A sea of red, baby. Yep. Best omelets in the world, too, right there. So, anyway. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the ranch. Mr. Henderson, your turn. Well, um, I'll... Uh... We Joe? will. Yeah, okay. Uh, Let's uh, start got, again. For some reason, yeah. you got knocked out. All right. Um, all right. You can find me on... Uh, Twitter at the initial J Henderson Tampa. And um, I'm uh, starting to get in the mood for a little postseason baseball and uh, looking ahead to really some outstanding uh, matchups, starting with uh, the uh, the Cubs and your Washington Nationals mm-hmm. uh, over in the NLDS. And uh, another intriguing series, Houston and, and Boston. Uh, but I want to give a, a quick tip of the hat to the Minnesota Twins, uh, who can uh, uh, very likely, as as we're talking here, they haven't clinched the wild card yet, but they probably will. And uh, good on them. Uh, nobody saw this coming. Uh, they'll probably be, wind up playing the Yankees in the wild card. Uh, and uh, go Twins. Love them. There you go. Tim. You can follow me on Twitter at Tim Wright Sports, and I'll I'll go off that as well and talk about the upcoming MLB postseason. The most of the races have been pretty much finished off, and we're left with just a couple of days in the AL East, where the Red Sox are still holding on. And, you know, all year up in Boston, which I just left, but up in Boston, all they'd been saying is they were waiting for this team to lose the American League East. And it seems like they're going to have to wait another year. And I don't know why no one can enjoy that team, but maybe it's time they started. Okay. And that, that's all I got. Brings to a close yet another edition of Sunshine Boys podcast. Now, If you haven't had a chance to subscribe to us, it's easy enough done. You can get us through the iTunes store. You can get us through Google Play. You can get us through Stitcher. You can get us through TuneIn. And you can get us through Blog Talk Radio. Okay, so that's five places where you can subscribe to the Sunshine Boys podcast. We will be delivered 
weekly to your phone. Easy as that, okay? Well, obviously, we'd like to thank once again the Sunshine Boys themselves, Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson. We'd like to thank Tim Williams for joining us. And until next time, I'm Jim Williams, your host, right here on the Sunshine Boys podcast. Thank you.